I wanted to share this story. So one of the things that I sometimes struggle with, my family still tease me about a time when there were lots of people walking by. It was quite busy and loud. A quick assessment and alhamdulillah everyone's breathing with a pulse. Went to the car, basically turned it upside down. The discovery had me feeling two things. The first, the first was... was... Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Submissions Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Wherever you are, however you listen to your podcasts, we hope this podcast achieves its intentions of being a platform to explore and share stories from Muslims. We mentioned last week that we named this podcast Submissions for two main reasons. To remind ourselves that our daily activity, our prayer, actions, moments and our heartbeats are all for the sake of Allah. In submission to Him, we are able to grow. And in submitting to His will and His plans, we are able to gain closeness to Him. Our second reason was that the stories that we share, your submissions, are pieces of history that are entrusted to us by the storyteller. In submitting your stories, you are submitting a part of your reflections, a small part of your memories, and sharing it for Muslims and people of other faiths all around the world. Over the next episodes, we will share stories from everyday Muslims doing everyday things. Some of the stories will make you chuckle, some of them will leave your heart glowing, some of them will make you anxious and feel on edge. All of them are true stories told with the authentic voices of the Muslims who experience them. Between the stories, you will hear from a couple of members of the submissions team talking and reflecting about them and sharing their own thoughts and insights while stimulating discussion. We pray we can achieve all that we intend and more for the sake of Allah to whom we submit. Bismillah. This is Submissions. Salam. My name is Mahnoor, a 26-year-old doctor. You'll remember from our last couple of episodes, we had incredible stories surrounding birth and the start of life and miracles of Ramadan. Check them out if you haven't already. Assalamu alaikum, I'm Inaya, I'm 27, I'm also a doctor and inshallah today I'm really excited to explore some really awesome stories surrounding our theme of the day which is silver linings. For me, when I think of silver linings, I think about how integral this concept is to Islam and our faith. And I also think about how amazing it is that even within our trials and things that might seem really difficult, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always says that with hardship comes ease. And I think that silver linings in this respect is something that we always should really look towards. Islam is very much a faith of optimism and always looking for, even when the day is cloudy or things seem really, really difficult, to try and find and tease out where Allah has hidden blessings in store for us. Yeah, I think silver linings for me encompasses two really important concepts in our faith. One of them is gratitude and the other one is the importance of reflection and contemplation in in Islam. And it's something that only over the last four or five years I've really understood the importance of. I read this book called Contemplation in Islam and I I can put a link in the show notes below. It really broke down the different levels of contemplation And it cited a lot of different Quranic ayahs and hadith that really prompt us as Muslims to continually contemplate and reflect. And I never linked that with gratitude and silver linings at the time. But when I actually started to implement it in practice, the more I reflected and the more I I kind of thought about, about my day and about what was around me, I couldn't help but be in immense gratitude and and just look at things with their silver linings glaringly obvious as opposed to being hidden in the background. Uh, Thank you very much, Mahnoor. Inshallah, we'll put the link for that book in the podcast information. And so now let's hear from our first storyteller. 
This is Nahjan. She's a 29-year-old environmental advisor and she's currently based in the Netherlands and originally from Malaysia. Let's hear her story on discovering the silver linings within our everyday surroundings. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Najin. I am Malaysian and currently based in the Netherlands. I wanted to share this experience of mine from three years ago when I was still working in Malaysia. In my old role as a project engineer in the oil and gas industry, I used to go offshore at least once a year during the execution of my projects. A return trip is usually for two weeks with a week or two of break. My longest was 26 days with a short five-day break to reset before I headed out again as my time project was not going well. Similar to any construction work that is done onshore, as a project engineer, my job was to supervise and act as an interface. This was in quarter 3 of 2017, which I thus spent in the middle of the sea, going back and forth between the offshore platform where my work site was located and a large vessel anchored alongside the platform. The vessel was where I slept and took my meals. This project was my first since entering the working world, so the pressure, needless to say, was immense. There was, in truth, another reason for going back and forth at specific times. Prayers. Since offshore is a dominantly male environment with generally little privacy, even if it was mixed gender, I would rush back to my room on the fourth floor to pray. For your info, there was no elevator in this vessel and definitely none at the platform. I would jump out when applicable, of course, but offshore timing is like its own time zone, primarily centered around the five meal hours breakfast, tea time twice a day, lunch and dinner, starting as early as 5 a.m. until 7 p.m. For three months, I went back and forth between these two locations multiple times in a day, 30 minutes each way because of the amount of stairs I would need to take while in full protective outfit, until my last trip when I discovered, lo and behold, a prayer room in the living quarters at the platform. My goodness, I had no idea. The discovery had me feeling two things. The first was stupefied, absolutely stupefied because this was the last of my five trips within three months and I could not believe I had zero idea this existed until I chanced upon it. Like I said, offshore is not a big space, so it was odd that I completely overlooked. Looking back, I should have guessed, this is Malaysia after all, and although we're generally secular, we are still a Muslim nation where public religious spaces are common. The second emotion I felt was relieved because I had, yes, spent all of my offshore trips rushing between prayer times, doing my best to pray in the cramped quarters in a wobbly vessel, while also, whenever I have to share rooms, doing my best to be mindful of my roommates. This always made me feel like I was back in America as a student sharing a cramped dorm room, the part I don't miss, basically. Since I discovered the prayer room so late, I made use of it for only three nights, but what blessings they were. Those 50-something stressful nights that I spent out there before were immediately replaced with utter solitude and clarity. I mean, those quiet hours are generally pretty magical, especially out there. But spending it with the beloved, that is something else. I was so happy about this that I wasn't even angry or annoyed at having to sneak in after 10pm because that's the only time when I could be sure it was void of anybody. I was physically exhausted by then as I would usually work for 18 hours daily um, as the day was spent at sight while nighttime is for catching up with emails and office backlogs. But whatever exhaustion would disappear in those brief hours. 
I really wanted to share this experience because it's unique in many ways as a Muslim and a woman, especially. I recognize that, but mainly because of this incredibly profound reminder. Even in literal middle of nowhere, I was granted provision and respite. If I did not believe this, then I definitely do since. I hold steadfast to the belief that when we take care of our relationship with Allah, He takes care of us. I hope you've benefited from my story. Jazakallah. Wow, subhanAllah, that was incredible. Um, how amazing does it sound to be out into the ocean in the middle of nowhere and just stars above you praying to Allah? Being offshore sounds incredibly, incredibly, incredibly difficult for so many reasons, but I definitely can see how that would be one of the silver linings. And Najan highlights it so beautifully, even amidst everything else that happened with her prayer space. But that really, like, that story really reminded me the importance of prayer spaces and how often I live my life so busy trying to fit in prayer to my schedule that I end up praying in a variety of different spaces. And whether that's a changing room or on the grass or a quiet corner or, or you know, an office space. And, and I'm really like adamant to try and make sure that I, inshallah, make my prayer on time. And, you know, it doesn't matter and anywhere can be made a prayer space. But it does like her story really does remind me that actually Finding designated prayer spaces has a beauty of its own and the sanctity of a prayer space that is meant for prayer really does kind of elevate my experience when I'm praying. Once I remember we were rushing on Liverpool Street and we were crossing Broadgate Circle and for those of you who might not be familiar with it, it's kind of the circle nestled in between office buildings. So really, really high skyscrapers and then just like this little pseudo valley in, in between. And it has a, a, a really large water feature on one corner of it and um, a big staircase. And we were just rushing and we, we realized that like, you know, if we didn't pray now, we would miss Maghrib. And so we just all stopped on the staircase and we're like, OK, let's let's just pray here. It's quite quiet because everybody had finished work. And, you know, with the, the background of the water feature and just suddenly like stepping off the really busy street into this quiet space in the evening hours when everybody had gone home from work. That's honestly one of the the most prominent memories for me when I think of having khushu in my prayer. So, yeah, it's a it's I think prayer space as, as a concept and how it impacts our connection with the actual act of worship is something I think about a lot. And um, Nahjan really gave me food for thought with her story. I agree. And uh, thank you so much for your story as well, Mahnoor. Um, I would share one of mine, but I think it's coming up in, in this episode. I think it's amazing also when it is somewhere that's familiar to you that you didn't know how to pray a space. And I think that's one of the things that Nahjan definitely, you know, she said she was stupefied by this discovery. And sometimes it makes that place or space so much more comfortable and so much more incredible but also I love how she connected her story and her experience with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's provision and it's quite amazing how she really made that connection that you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our razak he's the one who provides and he does make provisions for us when we have good intentions and I think that's something that we'll see from all of our stories today and really something that, you know, even in your story that you've just mentioned now, it's one of those things that when we make the intention that, you know, I'm going to pray, I'm going out, but I want to pray on time in a specific place, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always makes a way out for you. And I think that's something that I've definitely learned over and over again throughout my life and throughout just even in those situations when you think it's impossible, like there's no way I'm going to find a space to pray. I'm just going to have to miss it. Just actually fixing those intentions sometimes can be so profound and so incredible. And I really love how Nahjan's story reminded us of that. I also found it really inspiring in Nahjan's story about how she discovered this prayer room so late into her trip and so late into a series of trips. And yet she was so grateful and affected by how how moved she was by the space that she didn't feel any regret and she only saw the situation as positives. And I think that's like a brilliant reminder of how we should be interpreting situations and and how silver linings are in in all of our day-to-day actions. And you know, on that note, I think one of the really incredible things about silver linings is that, as the saying goes, you know, every cloud has a silver lining, but you often, you need the cloud to be able to see the silver lining and you need that challenge and you need that lack of having the blessing in order to see the blessing, if that makes sense. And I think for me, in Nahajan's story, it's precisely as you've said, her not having a space to pray for all of those days, I think it absolutely exemplified how amazed and how grateful and how happy she was on finding and discovering that prayer space later compared to if she had maybe found out about it on day one. And I think it's something that we see over and over again when it comes to our own lives. And I've seen that so many times that when a blessing takes some time to come or provision takes some time to come it's such an amazing thing to then feel grateful for and I think that nicely takes us on to our next story which is from Fazila and Fazila is a 27 year old doctor she is based in London she tells the story about making intentions for one thing but finding that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has very different plans in store and how these link to silver linings so let's have a listen to Fazila's story I was in my F2 year, which is my second year of being a doctor. I was living away from home and the rotation I was on had really started getting to me. We were short staffed all the time and had very sick patients and I was forever covering gaps in the rota. I think I kind of lost sight of what I was doing, just started hoping and praying that this would be over soon felt really low and started thinking that maybe I was just in the wrong place. Maybe I wasn't cut out to be a doctor. I I couldn't do this. I decided I was just going to finish the year and then leave medicine. Alhamdulillah though I did have a lot of blessings that I didn't count at the time. I'd made this solid group of friends who knew what I was going through and really supported me. Um, They organised a trip away Uh, So on a kind of spur of the moment thing, we went on a driving tour from Marrakesh to Fez. There were five of us and on the plane, we ended up being split up actually. So my friends sat near the front um, and I ended up sitting alone towards the back of the plane. I remember thinking, I'm going to forget all things medicine for these few days. I'm just going to escape. So during the flight, and it's a short flight, I noticed this woman walking down the aisle, out the corner of my eye. She's holding on to seats for support, but something about her movement makes me look at her directly. 
And the next thing I know, this lady grabs my arm, squeezing hard, and then collapses onto the floor. One of the cabin crew ladies uh, rushes towards her and then utters those dreaded words. Is there a doctor on board? I'm obviously a bit stunned at this point, but offer my help. A man then kneels beside me. Doctor, he says, I'm a nurse. How can I help you? And so we're lifting her legs. We've got some oxygen on her and she comes back round. It was just such a surreal recreation of my ward. Up in the air, miles from the hospital. And alhamdulillah, this lady was stable for the rest of the flight. A few days later, we were driving to the Sahara. We were supposed to go on this uh, camel ride. So imagine there's just sand all around. We're just driving on this narrow road. And um, it's really, really hot. Aziz, the driver, suddenly slows down. And we're going along at snail's pace, uh, passing this car that's really badly damaged. There are fragments of glass all over the ground. And a few metres later, there's another car. And then after that, there's a group of about 10 people standing around. And... On closer inspection, there's three women on the floor that look like they've been moved to the side. My friend and I look at each other and ask Aziz to stop. And Aziz is kind of like, what are you guys going to do? Like, are you doctors or something? Um, and obviously we look at him and we're like, I, I actually, yeah, 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 we are. Um, so seconds later, he's like running up with us to the scene. Um, shouting, I think I have a first aid kit. Uh, a quick assessment and handle everyone's breathing with a pulse. And two are complaining of this pain in their neck. And so we tried to stop the crowd from moving them anymore and immobilise their necks using scarves and other miscellane miscellaneous items. One lady's leg um, is severely injured. She's bleeding and... I think I see a flash of white. So we're thinking, is it bone? But the other thing is it's covered in like dust and flies buzzing around it. At this point, Aziz whips out this first aid kit he's talking about, and it contains clean gauze, sterile gloves, and iodine. We try to clean it and cover it until the paramedics get there. After a long delay, we continue our journey. Aziz tells us we're unlikely going to be able to do the camel ride because we're so late. But I don't think any of us is taking anything in. We get to our rendezvous point, And after some convincing, the guide agrees to let us do it. By the time we're all set up, it's dark. So I was on the front camel with the rest of the others behind me. And after a few minutes of pointing um, and talking about the constellations, the guide finally walks in silence. And all I can hear is the sound of the sand shifting under the camel's feet. And looking up, I can see the sand stretched out all around me. And the inky sky kind of comes to meet it 
filled with more stars than I've ever seen in my life. It's like his creation, a reflection of him, stands before me, majestic. I had never seen his signs clearer than I did that day, but I began to think maybe I hadn't been looking for them. And I felt so much peace for the first time in ages. Truly, he's the all-seeing and all-hearing. Medicine had followed me out there, tapped me on my arm, squeezed it, called me from the roadside. I was meant to be here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even then gave me this space to contemplate and thank him, to see. Every time I revisit these moments, I think about all the lives that needed to intertwine at these times, in these places, for me to experience these events. I could not doubt for a second that this divine plan and all of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's plans have wisdom beyond that which I can comprehend. The rest of my time on that rotation flew by. These moments gave me the strength and the reassurance that I was exactly where I was supposed to be. That was absolutely amazing. I think the way that she encapsulated her reflections on the whole journey was just so awe-inspiring. And I think in particular, the fact that she went with one question, which was, what should I do? Is medicine for me? Is this the right path that I've chosen? And she came back with one answer. And it was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had set that all up to answer that question for her, even though for her, she was just going on holiday. She was just trying to not think about the question, but it was so beautiful in the way that it was answered for her. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with that. I think, you know, throughout the whole story, I just kept thinking about how Allah is the best of planners and every element of the story really exemplified that from the contents of the first aid kit, having iodine, which is like a, like an antiseptic used to clean wounds, which was just insane that, you know, Aziz just rocked up with <laughs> with it. And yeah, even even just this the sequence of events that happened and led to them being in the desert under the under the starry-eyed sky it was it was incredible how much that scene affected her and how much she was able to internalize and reflect on Allah's signs and i just really kept thinking like had they just rocked up to the desert and done their camel ride and then been under the starry-eyed sky I don't know if it would have had the same impact if these events hadn't happened and really made them stop and reflect, which again just reminded me of Allah's plan being the most superior plan that we can ever fathom. I completely agree. And I think one of the most beautiful things is just so much like Nahjan's story in this situation, as you said, had she not gone through the difficulty of having to deal with those unwell people by the roadside, had she not had the difficulty of even getting to the desert walk or desert camel ride, then just as you've said, would she have even noticed the stars to the level or to the degree that she had? Or would she even have made that reflection where she talks about all of Allah's blessings were so evident for her and actually perhaps she had never been looking for them or perhaps she hadn't noticed them because they were always there. Which I think for me brings me to another reflection which is that sometimes we can be very 
blind, I think, to Allah's blessings being constantly and consistently there. And often we are quite clouded by our experiences or what's happening around us. And it can take a lot to just take a step back and appreciate that Allah's blessings have never left us and that his beauty and the wonderful way that he's created the universe and the world around us, that never diminishes despite what we're going through, despite what we're experiencing. And I just loved that because the stars that are contrasted so much with the chaos of the evening, the peace of those stars was always present. Like even while she was tending to those people by the roadside, there were still stars in space. And even while she was tending to the people on the plane who were unwell as well, all of this chaos, amidst that chaos, there is still always that calm that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in this universe. And I think for me, that was the overwhelming message and reflection that I drew from the story. Another thing that really stood out to me about Fazila's story was the retrospective gratitude that this sequence of events forced her to have. So she kind of describes how miserable the job was making her and how it was making her question her career choice altogether. And then as the story goes on, we so beautifully see, you know, her her heart change. It really also changes other elements of the way she viewed that time. So that time was now not only viewed as just misery, she was also able to clearly see all the other blessings that were taking place simultaneously alongside the hardships, which I thought was another really powerful blessing through her trip. Absolutely. And I think it's also the beauty and not ever undermining the matter at hand and not ever thinking that this is too small a thing to turn to Allah with because had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted this would have just been a regular holiday how many holidays has Fazila probably been on where this many medical things do not happen and how many holidays do we regularly go on when we don't have to deal with sick patients but in this situation she had to deal with two and or, or like two occasions where she's had to directly show her skills and directly explore this question that she's had on her mind and it's just that wonderful response that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala plans everything so beautifully and plans everything in such a subtle yet intelligent way and sometimes we wouldn't even have been able to plan that better if we tried and I really love that in this respect as well because like you say, she had a clear clear heart, she had an open heart, her intentions were pure. All she wanted to understand is why it was so difficult, wh- whether this was what she was cut out to do. And that was it. That was the answer received in this beautiful way. And like you've said as well, Allah is always talking to us through these signs. And I think sometimes all we have to do is just open our eyes and be receptive to that. And I think that is a really good segue onto our final story, which is from Moin. Moin is a 26-year-old dentist from London. And in this story, he talks to us similarly about how asking Allah for something can never be in vain. Let's have a listen to Moin's story. Assalamu alaikum. My story begins... Uh, well, it happened uh, summer last year, so almost a year ago now. And it was really a really mo- memorable moment for me, and it's really stuck with me, and it's been so, so kind of resonant in my mind. Um, and it's really taught me something, and hopefully that message will come across by the end of the, the story, the moral of it at least. So this happened during my sister's university graduation. So we all attended, uh, my parents, my wife and I, we all attended and it was the hottest day of the year uh, you know frankly remember that it was we were <laughs> we were struggling to be honest all dressed up in suits and dresses and gowns but we were very excited nonetheless 
essentially when we arrived they gave a goodie bag to all of us or at least to my sister and in that were food vouchers and these food vouchers were i think they were giving one free meal per person to any of the food stalls in on the campus which was actually you know it was it was very generous and we were very excited because we knew there was a there were a lot of halal food stores there really interesting food cuisines from all around the world um, and you know we we're very excited to have our lunch after the ceremony had finished so fast forwarding a little bit the ceremony's over and we all kind of regroup outside the ceremony hall ready to go and have our lunch so we start finding a table we sit down we get all ready and then we think okay let's get the vouchers out and let's have a wonder and see what stores there are start looking for the vouchers they're not in the bag okay fine so we start asking you know looking around our own individual bags uh, or pockets jackets blazers everything um and we couldn't find anything at all so you know start to think oh, oh god maybe it dropped somewhere maybe we left it in the car because in the min middle of all this or between the ceremony and at that point my dad and I had gone to the car to get changed and things so fine so dad and I we walked to the car and this is a few streets away so it's about five six minutes walk so a lot of areas where potentially could have fallen and during that walk I actually remember distinctly remember that oh it was me who was the last person to have the vouchers because um, I think my parents my sister were about to go into the hall and we had to we had to wait outside I, my wife and I had to wait outside so I took them and I remember having them in my back pocket and then I reached for that and obviously it's not there so then I panic a little bit I feel quite guilty at this stage obviously it's not the biggest de deal you know inshallah we'll be able to buy our lunch um, anyway but you know I didn't want to spoil a happy day on such a lovely weather and such a, a big occasion I kind of felt a bit guilty that everyone's now a little bit concerned over finding this so I was quite determined to try and find it um so I was really careful looking retracing our steps went to the car basically turned it upside down all the nicks and crannies we searched couldn't find a single thing we searched about three or four times and nothing at all and so I get quite sad and everyone's trying to obviously say don't worry you know it's not, not a big deal it, was, it wasn't meant to be etc so then you know we regroup and we decide let's just go and buy and then for some reason can't quite remember now but my wife and I decided to go back again um perhaps I think it was to put something away in the car and then again I thought let me just use this as one more chance to have a look for the vouchers so you know again same story nothing there on the way and on the way back I was even slower and more careful um but this time I was walking back and decided decided to kind of just cross the street um but even before this stage, my wife and I suddenly started talking about, you know, fine, we're so stressed about finding these tickets, but actually not once, or at least I was remembering that, you know, not once did we think about why this might be the case. Maybe Allah was trying to save us. Maybe this was Allah's decision. Well, of course it was Allah's decision, but we hadn't thought, stopped to think about that, or at least I hadn't anyway. Um, that, you know, Allah maybe saved us from using it for a, some food that might have given us food poisoning, for example, I don't know. Um, but for whatever reason, it was for the best. And, you know, at that point also hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't anyway, I can't speak for everyone else, thought to maybe call out to Allah for Allah's help um, to, to, to seek his knowledge or to, to, to just have confidence in the fact that if Allah wanted us to find it, he would let us find it find those vouchers um and if not then it was for the best just as we were mentioning Allah's name and almost it was almost an immediate kind of consequence of it that we decided to cross the road just for no reason but that side of the road we hadn't walked on in the first place 
Um, so we never went back to that side when we were retracing our steps, but we just happened to cross the road. I think the sun was in our eyes, so we went into the shade. A few steps in, and literally a few steps after mentioning Allah's name, we look down, and I, I see a piece of paper on the floor, and I think, oh, okay, there's no chance it's the voucher. There were five of these sheets, so there's only one there. So I looked down, and actually, yeah, there it was, our exact voucher, the one with my sister's name on it. And, you know, subhanAllah, we were just like, <laughs> I remember quite clearly my wife's face. We just looked at each other like in absolute shock and disbelief that this actually happened. And, you know, I keep stressing that it was moments after mentioning Allah and it was just the immediacy of of that remembrance. Um, and, you know, the shock of that is what I really remember more from the story than anything else. And that's what sticks in my mind. So I'm walking along, I thought, okay, at least one voucher, alhamdulillah, you know, from nothing to Allah giving us this, you know, we can't say alhamdulillah enough. And then sure enough, we walk more and more and we're praising Allah more and more. And with each few steps and each few <laughs> praises, we find another voucher and another one and another one until we find, you know, all five of them in a place that we didn't think we'd even walk down in the first place that we didn't even think to look at. And we didn't even think to look at at all for this reason. We just happened to cross the road because of the sunshine being in our eyes. And really, that is the moment that I thought, you know, subhanAllah, Allah is just always there. Allah is waiting for us to call out to him when we need him. And, you know, if we have that sincerity and we really trust in Allah, then Allah will give us what's best. And through means that we couldn't even imagine, um, you know, we're thinking we will be determined no matter how hard I try to retrace what I thought I'd, the steps I'd walked, I couldn't find it, but it's only when we you know, asked Allah for help sincerely that Allah then gave us exactly what we were looking for. And so this has been something that I've tried to take to heart ever since that day. And, uh, you know, in any situation where you feel hopeless or disheartened or feel like something's happened for that you weren't expecting in, in, in a more negative or at least what you think is negative, then, you know, if you have that sincere faith in Allah or if you then call out to Allah, um, and, you know, Allah is just there waiting to help us. You know, Allah is all merciful, um, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. And it's never hit me harder than that, even though it was such a simple thing as, you know, a few few food vouchers. I think that moment has really been a moment to for me to make me realise that Allah is there for every single one of us uh, in in ways that we can't imagine. And all we have to do is reach out to Allah sincerely, and just remember that Allah is there for our good and and he, he will always help when we ask for it, inshallah. So yeah, hope you enjoyed that story. Wow, I think Moin's story was so beautifully linked with Fazila's story, which I think all of them have really linked with this idea of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just providing from where we cannot even expect and when we put our trust in him and when any Muslim puts their trust in their du'a and trust in their creator, then the results can just be so incredible. I really loved when he was talking about how that even when they were, you know, struggling with these lost tickets, they were a bit worried about it. They knew that there were options out of this and they knew that there were ways that they could have just paid for the lunch. But I love that they both came to this conclusion about perhaps Allah had saved them and finding wisdom in Allah's plan, regardless of which way it went. And I think this is such a profound lesson that we can all take in 
always finding contentment in what Allah decides for us, which is such a important part of our faith and also an important part of things like istikhara dua and the guidance prayer, which reminds us to ask Allah for whatever is good for us and also to make us content with the outcome. So for me, this sort of reflection on, you know what, we've lost the tickets and it's not the best situation, but Allah knows best and perhaps there is something greater. And then after that, I just love how the minute they spoke about Allah, the minute they mentioned Allah and remembered Allah, that was when they found the tickets. And that's, you know, I often say that there's no coincidence in our faith. Like there's no such thing as coincidence because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of planners. And I think there isn't a better example of that than this. Yeah, and I think that that aspect of the story that you were just speaking about really emphasized to me the power of Allah's of taking Allah's name and really, you know, calling out to Allah and just doing dhikr in times of happiness or in times of need, in times of acceptance, and really like submitting to Allah in that in that moment. It brings so much barakah to our lives. And, you know, in my story really reminds me that in my times of need, when I've called out to Allah or mentioned Allah's name and kept kept thinking about, you know, the power that Allah has over the situation regardless of what the outcome has been, whether it's been what I've initially planned for myself, I was just filled with a sense of peace that wasn't situation dependent, which is a really, really, really comfortable feeling to find. And you can just, Moin takes us through that journey so, so uh, vividly, um, talking us through the different conversations and sentiments and thoughts that he was having with his wife, really made me appreciate the beauty of having a partnership while you're going through something uh, and the impact that somebody can have in shifting your perspective towards the situation. I don't know what it is about losing things, but when I've lost stuff, especially stuff that I can't explain how I've lost because it's just gone missing from in front of me, I get almost autonomic symptoms. Like I become really like flushed and sweaty and I'm like, oh my God, where's my train ticket? It's not a big deal. I don't really need it, but where is it? Where did it go? How could it escape from my bag? And in those moments when I've stopped and just mentioned Allah's name and, you know, read a da'a or something and things have fallen into place, not necessarily leading to me finding what I was looking for, but just me coming to terms and being peaceful about what's happened. And I think, you know, Moin's story takes us through the thought processes that him and his wife went through and, you know, the sentiments and, and the conversations so, so intricately that it just was something that I think we can all relate to a situation like that. Definitely. And I think, as you've put it so accurately, when we do lose things, I think it's also a loss of that sense of stability or that sense of knowing where things are or where you are even. I think that loss and that uncertainty can make us feel really confused and sometimes really disconnected from our own sense of reality and understanding what's going on. But within that, there is the beauty that when things are uncertain or when we don't have power, I think is the best time to remind ourselves who really has power and who has always had power, and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think we do live our lives in an almost illusion where we think that we have all of this power and we know all of these things and we have all of this knowledge, but really the true knowledge and the true wisdom is in relying on Allah. And I think that's really clear from these stories that our storytellers have picked up on this wisdom. The other thing is, as you've said, you know, the partnership of being with his wife in this was really beautiful because 
I think for me, it reminds me of our Prophet and how in his times of calamity or in his times of uncertainty, for example, when he received the first revelation from the angel Jibreel, it was really interesting how he then ran down from the mountain and the first solace that he found was in his wife Khadija. And I think it's really amazing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided that comfort in the form of a human being who he loved very much. And in the same way, in this situation with Moin, of course, it wasn't the same as receiving revelation. But again, nothing is nothing is too small or too big in the eyes of Allah. I think in this situation where he finds his comfort and even his reminders in his wife and in that discussion that, look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is here and let's remind ourselves of him and let's remember his mercy, I think is such a beautiful, again, parallel that we can draw from the Prophet Sallallahu life, but also a reminder that nothing is too small for Allah and there is nothing that we shouldn't ask Allah for. I think the point that you've just made about uh, uncertainty has completely blown my mind and made me realize why I do go into these states of panic. And it's because suddenly you give up power and you feel really powerless and you feel out of control because, you know, especially like the kinds of personality that I have, like I plan everything. I try to like follow a schedule and, you know, I I try to, you know, make sure everything goes in a very specific way. And when these things happen, you I really get knocked off my feet. And the only peace in those in those moments is remembering that actually you know it was never my plan to begin with the only things that were happening were the things Allah allowed to happen for me or that Allah you know bestowed upon me absolutely and one of my very close friends I remember she said that once the phrase was that it is in times of true powerlessness that we realized that we were always powerless to begin with and I think that really encapsulates all of these situations where it's almost like a realisation. It's not something that happens. We don't become powerless. It's just that our brains and our minds and our situations, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us that, look, you know, this is your place and this is how much knowledge you have, which by and large is nothing. Very, very little. And I think so much wisdom comes from just trusting in Allah and realising that he is Asami. He is the one who hears and sees everything, just as uh, Moin said it so eloquently in his story. And I just wanted to draw on the last kind of point on Moin's story that he mentions how the sun was in his eyes. So they had to move out to the other side and that's where they eventually found the tickets. And again, it's that beautiful way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives small signs and small nudges in the right direction through his nature or through his creation that then enables us to find our way. And I think in Fazila's story, this was so pertinent because it was the small things that somebody suddenly collapses on the plane, this happens, that happens, nothing, it wasn't a sign that said be be a doctor, it wasn't a sign that said do medicine, it wasn't something like that, same with Moin, there wasn't a flashlight towards the tickets, it was these small things that happened in our everyday and just for him was an instinctive reaction to cross the road but meant that he actually found those tickets and how beautiful I think that is, is just the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works is just so intricate and so beautiful. And for some people, it's just crossing the road because there's some sunlight in your eyes. But for other people like Moin, it's finding the tickets that you spent the last few hours being upset about. And I think there is such a beauty in the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works. So alhamdulillah, today we've had some absolutely incredible stories. And I think the key take-home messages 
that I've found is definitely number one that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always provide when we put our trust in him. And I think that's the most pertinent one for me. Number two is probably that silver linings exist in places where we might not even expect. And the blessings that we sometimes overlook always exist regardless of whether or not we choose to see them. And I think the last one is probably that, as we said, you know, realizing that we are powerless often helps us to remind ourselves who really is in power. I don't know, is there anything else, any other take-home messages you would add, Mahnur? Yeah, I think the only thing that I would add to that is that we definitely are powerless and the only place we can find comfort is in the things that Allah has given us. So through through the words he's given us in the Quran and through, you know, the, through the teachings that he's provided to us through the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But thank you so much, Anaya, for summarizing that so beautifully. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. Inshallah, we look forward to sharing more stories next week. We love being able to share this podcast with you, but it's only possible with the help of your wonderful and insightful stories. So please get in touch via our website, www.submissionspodcast.com. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our social media at Submissions Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Jazakallah khair for listening. Until next time, this was Submissions.